Hello, and welcome to the Vorthos Cast. I'd like to thank all our patrons who support us at patreon.com slash thevorthoscast. You are the people that keep this show going, and so a special shout-out for all the help that you provide us in making this show possible. I'm Andrew Weissel, and I am going to mentor you to defeat the Huns. I'm Brian Dawes, and I'm surveilling all the new cars in this wonderful set. I am Ashley Barrow, and I am ready to jumpstart this podcast. That's great, because we can discard Jay and get that going. Jay is not going to be with us again this week. He has recently moved and started a new job, and it's very hectic. So he has real-life things to worry about while us dorks are sitting here talking about magic. We have a ton of Vorthos news this week. And it's starting off with an announcement that was made on Weekly MTG last week. And that's that we know the author for the upcoming Ravnica stories. The author is going to be Nikki Drayden, who is a sci-fi fantasy author who's written a ton of short stories. Her first novel came out last year. And she's going to be writing both the Guilds of Ravnica story and the Ravnica Allegiance story, which is something I hoped that they were going to do to keep consistency between the two sets. Welcome, Nikki, to the Magic Multiverse. This is now the fourth woman in a row who has written magic story. So when Wizards of the Coast talks about they want to be inclusive and provide opportunities for a more diverse cast of authors, this is making up for the so many men who have written magic stories for decades now. I'm very excited. Y'all should be very excited. That story starts on October 10th which is obviously a Wednesday, because that's when the stories happen. If you are a Magic Story fan in Brazil, there's also something new and exciting for you. There is the Contos de Magic the Gathering, the Stories of Magic the Gathering, a new publication that a Brazilian publisher has partnered with Wizards of the Coast to produce and release. They are releasing on newsstands every two weeks, and translating a lot of the earlier magic stories from a couple years ago into Portuguese for the first time. They are hardcover, fully illustrated. If you're a Brazilian Vorthos, definitely go check those out. The first one is covering the five magic origin stories, and then they're already slated to do the Battle for Zendikar and the Oath of the Gatewatch stories, each of those in two parts. So it's going to be five volumes total so far, and... If you go out and buy them and they sell well, I'm sure they will continue doing those. And a shout-out to Brazilian Vorthos Meg Fornazari, who you can find on Twitter at Cozy's Translator. That's K-O-Z-I-S Translator. She is the person who has translated these stories into Portuguese for this publisher. You can see her talking about magic Vorthos topics and magic story all over the internet. She's done some cosplay. Huge fan, fantastic person. Congrats, Meg, for this awesome opportunity. And thank you for helping bring the enjoyable parts of magic story to somewhere else in the world. As we've mentioned, magic hasn't always been great about translating stuff. So this is just an awesome product to see. And then our third news item is the Ravnica, the Broken Pact Dungeons & Dragons session. If you are a D&D fan, you might be familiar with Saving Throw, a 
stream show on Twitch that runs on the official D&D channel and their own channel, I think. I'm not super sure about all the technicalities of where they do stuff. I'm not a D&D person. You will be. All Magic fans should definitely start to check this out because the Saving Throw Show is going to be doing a session with the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, the D&D crossover book that is going to be coming out in November. But we're going to get a little bit of an early look at it because their show starts on Saturday, October 13th at 1 p.m. Pacific. So their campaign is going to be DM'd by Ruben Bressler. If you are familiar with Magic personalities, you probably already know Ruben from Magic Mike's. And he's also huge in the D&D scene, so he's going to be DMing the session. And he's going to be doing that with Ashlyn Rose, the cosplayer, along with the Saving Throw folks, Riley Silverman, Jordan Pridgen, and Gaurav Gulati. They are going to be doing an exciting Ravnica campaign that involves all the mystery and intrigue that you can expect from this set using the Guildmaster's Guide as the foundation. If you want to see a super cool production that blends the D&D mechanics with the Ravnica flavor, definitely check their show out. The campaign's being written by Emmett Fury and A.E. Marling. You probably know A.E. from his cosplay efforts and his appearance on the Lorgoifs. And as a creative text writer, good peoples all around on this thing. So once again, that is going to start October 13th, 1 p.m. Pacific, on Twitch, on the D&D channel. I cannot wait for this. Yeah, I'm excited. I know, like, zilch about D&D, but I'm going to watch. I've watched a couple of the extra live streams that James Wyatt has DM'd in the past couple of years, and it's always exciting to see magic-themed stuff crossover with D&D especially if you don't know much about D&D because you can grok it a little better, definitely go check that out. Our Discord server has expressed interest in having a Forthos cast campaign with our patrons and us doing it, so that's another reason to join in our Patreon. We'll decide a little more about that once the guide comes out. That sounds awesome, and I cannot wait for this book to come out because... I've been DMing at my local gaming store for the last, let's say, seven months or so, as well as playing a little bit of D&D Adventure League at different stores as well. I'm really big into D&D right now, and this is really something I'm looking forward to getting my hands on. Yeah, and it seems like a great introduction to D&D, because if you're familiar with magic, you're going to be familiar with the world, and that just makes it that much more accessible. I know one of the Things that has kind of kept me out of D&D is that it's this whole other property with its all different rules and species and mechanics, and it's just like a lot to take in at first. But I'm definitely interested in getting into it with the Ravnica thing. We'll figure out some cool stuff to do on the Discord server. Anyone who supports us on Patreon gets access to that. So you can join our little community there. I think we're going to be tracking down. There's some RPG bots. You can get involved with that. We might do some short one-shotty type stuff. I don't know. When the book comes out, we're going to check it out, see what's in there, see what we can do with it. And obviously, we'll let you know when we have some more concrete ideas. But if that's something you're interested in doing, that is something we're going to probably work with in the future. 
And that's all of the news this week. But we do have one little thing to add to last week's episode, which was our post-mending Ravnica history. Because we forgot Gideon. Like, totally. Wasn't even in our notes. I don't know why we totally blanked on the fact that he was running around Ravnica fighting crime with the Boros. This is at the same time he's fighting Eldrazi on Zendikar during the day. He comes back to Ravnica at night to chase down the Shattergang brothers, who are the goblin mobsters who are embroiled in a mob war with Krenko, who is a mob boss, as you will know from his card. Some of the Shattergang brothers get killed, and then Krenko stabs Gideon, but then they arrest Krenko right before Battle for Zendikar, and they did just confirm on Weekly MTG this past week that Krenko is still alive. They were very coy about what's up with him, but he's around. And it was actually Jay who asked that question to Blake and Steve. So, congrats, Jay. You're not here on this week's episode, but your question still gets to appear. So you're kind of tangentially in this episode. Way to go, Jay. Jay loves Cranko so much. It's not healthy, but I guess most things related to goblins aren't healthy, so that makes sense. The rest of this episode is going to be reserved for our Guilds of Ravnica Flavor Gems. We got the full card gallery updated a little bit early last week on Wednesday instead of the usual Friday, which means we get to record this episode knowing the whole set, which is exciting for us because we don't have to push our recording dates around and try and accommodate, and it just worked out so smoothly. It was very nice. So let's just get into cards. And the first one I want to talk about is actually two cards. So there's a common removal spell, Collar the Culprit, which shows a bunch of Boros Legion soldiers surrounding a giant who's ripping off the roof of a house. And then there's this other card, the Rare Sweeper Citywide Bust, that shows all the soldiers arresting this giant and his giant pals. This Boros soldier with her helmet off, like, pointing right at the camera, like saying, move along, move along, none of your business, this is a Boros job, get out of the way. It's just this little two-part story that just tells you exactly what the Boros are about. Laying down justice wherever they can find crime, which is like everywhere on Ravnica. It's not very safe at all. But it's also really cute because the common removal spell destroys a creature with toughness 4 or greater, and the rare sweeper destroys all creatures with toughness 4 or greater. So it's got this mechanical link that would just be a Mel thing, but because of the art connection, it becomes this blend of mechanics and flavor. And I just love when cards work together, either across sets or within sets. And it's just this fun little story that you get to discover happening on Ravnica. Not to mention this flavor text. Reports of gruel riders in four districts. Start with the big ones and work your way up. Libius, Boro Sergeant. Then on Citywide Bust, it's, oh, you fellas are going to love lockup. Excellent gruel, very low ceilings. This is by the same person. The guy that they've got collared up is massive, so he's not going to like those low ceilings at all. That's very much sarcasm. It's jerk cops being jerk cops. Yeah, I know all about that. Our next card is Intrusive Pack Beast, which I only want to mention because it's a Krovod, which is a type of ox-like pack animal on Ravnica. 
And that's all I have to say about that. It's just cool to see it pop up again. Next we have Skyline Scout. We talked last week about Sky Knight Legionnaire being reprinted and having this view of Ravnica from way up in the sky that we've never really seen before. Skyline Scout kind of does something similar, but we have a straight top-down look on the city. And you can see the spires coming up out of the clouds and this hooded guildless person just swinging on a rope. This is art by Paul Scott Kahneman. It's just a great perspective shot that you can't do on other planes because you don't have cities like this. I mean, this is essentially a Spider-Man shot, right? This is a guy swinging on a rope through the tops of skyscrapers, which is so fantasy-sounding, but you can't just do anywhere. And I love when planes get to have these kinds of art moments that are unique to those planes. You can't do a Skyline Scout on Zendikar or on New Frexia. This is something that can only appear on Ravnica. The next card is Sworn Companions, which shows two more gateless. What's so fantastic about this, the artist is Jason Rainville, who talked a little bit on Twitter about getting rid of boob armor and making armor, like, actually make sense and functional and work and not sexualized. That's something we mentioned last week with Aurelia, and it's something that has continued through this whole set. And a lot of other magic artists came into a thread on Twitter and started talking about it, talking about how they design things when they can, techniques to shift armor around to make it make more sense like that. And it's just a testament to, first, how close-knit a lot of the magic artists are with each other, which is always great to see because they are always supporting each other, bouncing ideas off of each other. And it's just great as a fan to see the people who love this game really engage on a professional level with each other. And it's great to see so many of these artists talking with each other and understanding how important their art is just beyond being cool fantasy art. I've been looking at some art from other smaller TCGs, and I am not going to name any of them, but it's just such a stark difference in not just boob armor, but basically how female characters are rendered at all. The difference shows me that magic really takes itself a lot more seriously than other games do. We see all this great art from magic, and we sort of get used to it. So then going and looking at other games, you're like, wow, I am really grateful that magic artists even though there is still flaws in magic art, are not like getting their reference from a kind of video that we cannot talk about in this podcast. Do you mean porn? Yes. I also want to throw in something about this card. The flavor text on this card is awesome and it's hilarious. And it also makes me think of our current political climate, where it's just like, it's Uncle Karlov, Karlov of the Ghost Council, saying, the trouble with youth these days is... That in outright defiance of their elders, they refuse to be bought. It's hilarious to me that you have these two individuals standing together in solidarity. Their arms clasped. They're out there doing their own thing, defending themselves. Karlov's more worried about the fact that they are not willing to be bought. They're just there to be together and do what they want to do. And I think that's a really cool bit of flavor text. So bravo to whoever wrote that. 
So I'm an art student right now, so this is currently being hammered into my brain by all my teachers, but I love that. The focus of the image, their hands right here are framed by a little ridge right here, so we know that they're best buddies. Yeah, Jason also talked about that in his Twitter thread about this piece, that originally he had them standing up a little bit higher with just the peaks of buildings behind them, and he worked with art director Cynthia Shepard to move them lower to make them more kind of on the streets and then have all these connecting bridges to solidify the theme behind them, which is just a lot of fun. What is also fantastic is the card Drowned Secrets. This is our rare milling card, which I'm sure somebody's going to try and win with in Limited. But it shows basically a sewer drain with a couple suckered tentacles coming out of the dark depths. No, it's not Merit Lage. Emrakul! It's not Emrakul, she's in the moon. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's always Emrakul. What it is, though, is Ravnica's sewer leviathans, which we saw in the very first Ravnica city of guild set on Grozoth. This huge undercity monstrosity that puts sewer alligators to shame. And it's just so cool to see that referenced again because there are some scary monsters deep down in Ravnica's water systems. Of which, we do get one in this set. Wishcoin Crab. Ah, crab. I love crabs. If you follow this podcast, you know I love crabs. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I love crabs. They are fantastic, and this is just a big ol' crabs lurking in the waterways. And it has fantastic flavor text. What wishes do they grant? Mostly pinching-related ones. A quote from Omic, Superintendent of Waterworks. Because that's what crabs do. They pinch things. They're just crabs being crabs, and you can see on the art, there's like all these coins people have thrown into this fountain just sitting on top of its shell. He's so shiny. Betty breaks into song about it all the time. When I had hermit crabs, that was pretty much what they did. I don't mean busting into song, I mean pinching. I was about to say, I'm calling shenanigans on that right now. <laughs> Well, they, they can chirp, so they can sing. Yeah, we should move on before I start freaking out about how awesome hermit crabs are. Because <laughs> symbiosis with snails, and it's great. Okay, moving on. Great too. <laughs> we have to make another separate podcast about crabs and bugs. Our next card is Child of Night, which is a reprint. Just our simple little 2-1 two for 2 with lifelink. She is one of the awesome guildless cards we have in this set and gives you a perspective of what the rest of Ravnica is like. So let me read her flavor text. No guilds. That is her rule. The house vampires unnerve her. The combine would dissect her. The legion burn her. The conclave cure her. The shadows are all the family she needs. And that just perfectly conveys the disdain the guildless have for the guilds. Good or bad, however the guilds act, they are an elite class on Ravnica that can literally get away with murder in many circumstances. If you're not a member of a guild, Ravnica really sucks. And that sentiment is echoed on another card, Fearless Halbadir, whose flavor text says, I spent some time in the Legion, but I'm done taking orders all day. So this is someone who was in a guild who said, Whoa, the guilds suck. I'm better off on my own, doing my own thing. 
So it's neat to see Ravnica beyond the guilds to really flesh out this world in flavor text and on two very simple common cards, which is a great use of that kind of space. Just to kind of build out a generic flavored creature in a way that isn't reliant on like a guild mechanic or guild synergy, the kind of card that can go in any limited deck. This set follows up Dominaria in, in the way that it builds a world where it fleshes everything out in the flavor text very well. I feel like those two cards really gave us a good look into how some people view the guilds, and that's wonderful. And I think another card, Demote, it makes you realize that, hey, some people view the guilds as something to aspire to and crushes you when you get kicked out of a guild. But these people have left guilds voluntarily or choose not to participate in the guilds at all. And it just shows you the viewpoints people would have toward the guilds. I guess I should go ahead and read Demote's favorite text while I'm talking about it. There's Demotion. There's no greater honor than joining your chosen guild and no greater shame than failing it. It's a really cool thing that Wizards has continued to do is flesh out their worlds in every way that they possibly can. So our next card is Experimental Frenzy. Experimental Frenzy is a super cool card in multiple ways. The flavor text once again emphasizes that it's more of a modern world than a lot of the other worlds outside of Kaladesh. Talking about coffee. Turns out coffee is the weird aunt of invention. And I also like the way that this card actually, I guess, I don't even know how to say it. I heard it described either on a podcast or a video that I watched early this week where they were saying that, hey, while you're using this experimental frenzy, you're so focused on the future that you can't even see your present. And I think, you know, you always hear about the crazy scientists in movies or in books where they're so focused on their future endeavors and achievements by burning the midnight oils, going sleepless, and just ruining their own current day lives, like Doc Brown from Back of the Future, that because they're so focused on their invention that they're working on that they don't even pay attention to what they have right in front of them. And the way this card plays out with you not being able to play stuff from your hand, but just constantly digging forward from your library, essentially your future is really cool. That's something that we don't talk about a whole lot in terms of, but Vorthos also cares about how cards feel when you play them. And this is a card that very much feels that way where you're so excited about what's next you kind of don't care about what's going on because you literally cannot play cards from your hand it's the perfect marriage of a card concept mechanics flavor text and all those facets just come together to make a really fleshed out experience of a game piece which is something that game design strives for for every single magic card, obviously, some cards will be more successful than others. But I think this is just the card as a total package knocks it out of the park on every level. The next card is Hellkite Whelp, which is a nice little throw forward to the Rakdos. The flavor text says, they play by spitting fire at each other. Don't be offended if one gives you a love scorch. It's a quote from Esphere, Rakdos Dragon Wrangler. Which is a very exciting job title, a very dangerous job title. Sarkin would love it. This is probably Sarkin's babysitter for his baby. But it's a great throwback to Rakdos Pit Dragon from Dissension, 
uh, a reminder that the Rakdos do very, very dangerous entertainment that way. They're essentially performance artists. They're kind of the, the gore circus. But this is a fantasy property, so why train lions when you can train dragons? I like that Ravnica puts that fantasy spin on a lot of modernish concepts. It's also great that this set gives us a couple little looks into the five guilds that are not in this set. And our next card is Rubble Belt Boar. Rubble Belt Boar's flavor text says some gruel druids believe that boars are the spawn of the great Ilarg, the mighty raised boar who will one day rise and level the city. Now how are we saying that? Are we saying Ilarg? We don't know yet. I was saying it in my head, Ilharg. I don't know how hard that H is. That'll probably be super wrong in a few weeks, but we're going with that for now. I'm going to go ahead and assume that a lot of our listeners have not seen a wild boar in person, so I want you guys to know these can get to be like 200 pounds. I was face-to-face with one one time, and that's the fastest I have ever moved. So if you're wondering why they might worship a boar god and believe that it is capable of destroying the city, they're huge. So you see this guy coming and you run. He's only 3-3 though. This is the first time I think we've seen the name of the boar god. You know that I love him. And you see we clearly defines their belief system. And I love that. So the next card is also a gruel card. Street Riot. Here we have flavor text from Domri. They said obey and you'll be happy. They said you'll be safe. But we're not safe. We're not happy. And we will not obey. A lot of people have talked about which of the five guilds are going to be loyal to Bolas. This leads me to believe that one of them is going to be Gruul, and this is how he's going to incite chaos in the city. That doesn't really seem that hard. They have a reason to want to rise up. He basically just has to say, this is a good time to do it, and here you go. Going back to the other card, and if they are involved in Bolas, I believe that he's going to somehow invoke the god. Don't know if he's going to impersonate him, summon him, kill him in some way, but I am pretty sure that Elark, that now that we know his name, is going to be relevant in the next set. I sure hope so. I hope he's okay. If Bolas kills him or something, I'm gonna be heartbroken. After Amonkhet, I don't think they're gonna have Bolas kill all the gods on every plane. At least hopefully not. I hope they save him for the third set and he ends up being like a good guy. That's my bet. The Eternal Army is bearing down on the Gatewatch. It looks like they might lose. And then across the cityscape, an oink thunders across the sky. Raining down upon the Eternal Army is the excited Yeehaw! As Vivian emerges riding on the back of Ilarg, stomping them into dust. Hold on, I'm gonna play an audio clip. <laughs> Please tell me, please. Who's the pig? Are you talking to me? Uh-oh, they call him the pig. Are you talking to me? You shouldn't have done that. Are you talking to me? Now they're in for it. They call me Mr. Pig! Ah! Yes, Ashley, that is exactly what is going to happen. I hope. <laughs> I think it's really funny that we're way more excited about the boar god than Domri. Because Domri, by the way, who's showing up for the first time since he had a card... We know that the five planeswalkers in these two sets are going to be the ones leading the guilds that get manipulated by Bolas. That doesn't necessarily mean that Domri is going around saying, hey, 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 I'm a Bolas minion. But what it likely means is that Bolas approached Domri and has manipulated him in some way. 
much like Vraska isn't consciously aware of her role in Bolas's plan to destabilize Ravnica, but she did the Ixalan mission for Bolas and has now taken over the guild and destabilized things in the Golgari. And like I said, it would not take much to you know incite them to bring chaos. They are sort of an oppressed class on Ravnica as far as guilds can be oppressed. They would just take a little push. Pretty much. I do want to specify that unlike the other guilds, the Gruul does not have one set leader. So it's not that Domri is Guildmaster now. They are a group of clans. Borberigmos is the leader of the largest one, but the guild as a whole does not answer to him. He's pretty big, so if he told you to do something, you probably would answer to him, but he's not their official leader. So Domri most likely is not like the guild leader now. He's just the head of this rebellion. I mean, realistically, they could follow the pattern established by this set where you have two different figureheads in each guild that are expressing their leadership in different ways, and Borborygmos could just be his angry self and not really have any direction, whereas Domi could have a specified direction he's aiming for, so. And I know that Gruul is not until the next set, but I love that they're already setting up that they're not just mindless, violent barbarians. There is a reason that they are protesting. They are, like I said, as far as guilds can be oppressed, they are an oppressed group. And the city does not treat them well. And that's been established with some flavor text from this set. And I really like that because that's something I was already aware of, but they're sort of characterized as just, they're the woods people and they're violent and they're mindless. And I don't like that. So our next card is Bounty of Might. And this card is really cool to me because I feel like the flavor text really gives a different look at Selesnia that, you know, some people know that the Selesnia probably have the largest standing army of sorts. People assume that the Boros are probably more militant of all the guilds, but it's actually the Selesnia, they just don't wield their power as often because the Boros are actually the law enforcers of Ravnica. The Selesnia just have a large standing army based on the fact that they have people that have just converted who might actually use their skills to protect the different paths and whatnot that the Selesnia are tasked with protecting. So the flavor text of Bounty of Might says, I am the very soul of battle, but even I would never advise open war with the Conclave. And that's attributed to Aurelia. And it's really cool to me, me being the Selesnia fanboy that I am, just giving a little bit of perspective on how Aurelia views going to war with Selesnia. It also makes me think of another card that was back in white that I probably should have talked about earlier in Flight of the Equinauts, where they mentioned in the flavor text, Yes, there's a competition between the Equinox and the Boros Skyjacks. At least they think it's a competition. It's another one of those inter-guild rivalries that most people don't think exists. But it is. It's quietly there in the background. And it's another one of those cards that really shows a little bit of the dynamics of the plane without really beating you over the head with it. It's really subtle and I like it. I know a lot of people have felt it was weird that all these Celestia cards are making soldier tokens. I know, Brian, you wish they were elves, but... Yeah, I would have settled for elf elf soldiers. I, I get it, though. But the Selesnya have always had soldiers. Conclave Phalanx was an important card, both in limited and in world building. In the original Ravnica City of Guild set, they have had soldiers in every block. They are a very militant group when they want to be, and they have a lot of muscle. Our next card is Generous Stray. 
which probably competes with the Indrik for the cutest art in the set, because it's just a little house cat who killed a lizard and is leaving it on your doorstep. That's the card. Just a little one-two that draws you a card when it enters the battlefield. Salty, this is an Elvish Visionary. Nah, with Convoke, Elvish Visionary would have been too good. Card would be busted. Don't care, wanted it. That is fair. It's okay, you have the vampire one. Nope, not an elf, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, but this is another card that just shows regular Ravnica, that there are just cats around. We saw it on the Indrik art too, and it's something that the original Ravnica block kind of played around with. There was a Sabretooth Alley Cat card, which was a little more fantasy, but I really like that this set has kind of pulled back on that a little bit, and we just have kind of regular house cats wandering around. It makes it feel a lot more familiar, and I think makes it feel more grounded in reality, as much as it seems weird to say that in a set with, like, killer bug people and gigantic elementals also made out of buildings. It's just a cute little kind of slice-of-life card. I wish that the stray cat that lives around my house brought me lizards. She brings... Well, I can't really tell what she brings because she's destroyed it by that point. That's gross. Our next card is Grappling Sundew, which is a plant that has Defender and Reach and can gain Indestructible and captures dragons, which you might think is ridiculous. And of course, they have to make up some weird fantasy plant to be able to do this, but they didn't. Sundews are real plants. They don't actually capture dragons because dragons are not real, so that part is fabricated. But sundews are carnivorous plants where their leaves have these long fibers covered with sticky sap, and they emit a very sweet smell. So a lot of bugs flying around think that this sap is nectar, and they can land on the sundew and drink some nectar and go on their merry way. But then they get stuck, and the sundew's leaves are fairly long and thin, so they slowly start to curl up as soon as they feel a struggling insect. And they roll up and surround the insect with these drippy, sticky fibers, which is actually a digestive fluid. Carnivorous plants evolve to live in generally poor soil conditions where they can't extract a lot of nitrogen from their environment. So they eat animals to break down their proteins to get the nitrogen into their system that they need to grow and thrive. So sundews are real. They are relatively pretty looking plants, but they are deceptively deadly if you get stuck in their fibers like this dragon in this art. So that's just a cool carnivorous organism that made it onto a card that would usually be a kind of flytrap in flavor. So I'm just really happy to see them go with a little more of an esoteric and interesting option. And something that works really well with the orange and yellow autumn color palette. And speaking of autumn and beautiful art, Pause for Reflection by Elena Danner might just be one of the most serene, relaxing pieces of magic art I have ever seen, ever, in this game in 25 years. It's just this nice, long, deep shot of autumn trees with some city skyscrapers and bridges and arches just slowly going back into the fog 
into the light. The kind of scene where you just imagine sitting out on your patio with a mug of hot cider in a blanket, a slight breeze. Just close your eyes. Nice long exhale. And just feel content. Wake up, don't fall asleep. That probably won't last very long considering it's Ravnica and I'm sure in about a two seconds some sort of elemental or part of a building is going to fall on your head. Yeah, probably, but it's a nice thought. It's just so cozy. I just love it. I love autumn. It's a beautiful season. I'm sorry to the people who live in places that don't get to have it. It was like 90 degrees today. Well, that's because you live down south. So shut up. Oh man, I cannot wait for when the trees actually start getting like that, because just looking down the street, I live on the top of the hill and there's trees all over on both sides of the street and just looks so beautiful. So our next card is Conclave Cavalier, which is a 4-4 centaur knight that dies into two 2-2 elf knights. So it's very clearly two elves in a pantomime centaur costume, and you're not going to convince me otherwise. That's just what that card is. I don't blame you. But actually, I think this is just building on the fact that the Celestini are very protective of their own, and if you kill one, two are going to come to get you. Kind of like a Hydra. Pantomime Centaur. I'm with Andrew on this one. See, Brian, you're outvoted. It's a Pantomime Centaur. Where's Jay when you need him? Gosh. He would vote Pantomime Centaur also. Ah, oh, fine. Whatever. Our next card is Crackling Drake, which I didn't think much of until the artist, Victor Adame Minguez, started talking about it on Twitter when the card was revealed. He is a big fan of a card from the original Ravnica block, Drake Familiar. If you go back and look at that card, and then go look at Crackling Drake, this is the same Drake. Victor built a little maquette to paint from and took the same Drake from a card that he loved, because he's been a Magic player and Magic fan for a long time, and got to put it on here. You can see in the original Drake Familiar art, there's a little scale dove in the foreground. And in the Crackling Drake art, if you look on its little foot, you can see that it's caught the dove, finally. It's just great when Magic art references other Magic art. And it's so great to see magic artists who have loved magic for a long time and finally get to work on it get to imbue pieces with their own passion. And you get excellent work like this one, where you have a drake with a bunch of is it rigging around it, just dashing through the skies. There's fantastic use of motion blur and unfocused buildings to make it look like the drake is zipping by like lightning. Victor has just put out so much great art. Every set. I'm super happy for him for finally getting to reference one of his personal favorite magic pieces in his own art. And our next card is one of the few legends we have left to talk about. The Demir Rare Itrata the Silencer. It was a vampire assassin can't be blocked, and whenever she deals combat damage to a player, exile target creature that player controls and put a hit counter on that card. And that player loses the game if they own three or more exiled cards with hit counters on them, and then you shuffle a Trata into its owner's library. So talk about 
flavorful top-down designs where Atrata is this secretive, uncatchable assassin. And if she gets enough of your minions, you're done. And it's pretty wordy, as a lot of these kind of super-specific Vorthosy top-down designs can be. But it's just perfect. This is like the perfect flavorful assassin card. And I'm so excited because it looks so cool. And it's the kind of card that is going to lead to great stories. Like, is someone going to ever win with this in Limited? Is it going to be a thing in Brawl? Is it going to be a thing in Commander? It's just so neat. I'm very excited to see this card get played and create those Vorthos story moments that can arise out of a really flavorful design. On Game Nights, this is actually going to be one of the commanders that they play with in the next Game Nights episode. Like, I actually started brewing with her when I saw it. Oh man, this card looks so cool to build around. There's so many different ways you can abuse that. In the preview episode of the Command Zone, they actually went over what was some of the cards in the deck. There's a lot of cool ways you can go around building this card, and I'm, I'm super excited to see what people do with it. Our next legend to talk about is Tajik, Legion's Edge, who is a very, very fancy boy. This art looks incredible, and I can't wait to see it in foil. Oh, it's going to look so good. Anthony Palumbo illustrated this. Tajik already had really fancy armor in Dragon's Maze, but now with the autumnal uniforms of the Boros, he has the big furry collar and, like, flares in the side of his sword. It's so over the top. Every part of it. This guy loves being a cop, which is why he's kind of a jerk in a lot of flavor text. He's got the Final Fantasy-looking sword with the lights coming out of it, too. It's just like... He got hungry and took a bite. Or two bites. Yeah, well, sometimes you have long stakeouts and you just gotta nibble on your sword. I don't know, like, it's just, the art is so good. He's got Mentor, but he also protects the rest of his legion, because you can't deal non-combat damage to the rest of the creatures you control. And much of the chagrin of people who actually liked his indestructibility in the past, he does not replicate that with himself. He protects others, but not himself now. Sometimes legends are designed in such a way that they reflect how they're going to be in the story. That's especially true sometimes when we do return blocks and legends get to show up again, like we saw with Olivia Voldaren. Her original card was kind of the Count Dracula archetype. But then Olivia mobilized for war. She was very much geared for this hyper-aggressive vampire strategy. So I'm wondering if Tajik's indestructibility being traded for his protection of others is going to signal him really putting his life on the line for his guild in these troubled Ravnican times. I mean, technically, he might have already done something of that nature when he was trying to protect... Tessa, they were investigating those hidden areas of the Orzov, and then she gets arrested. It's going to be super interesting to read, because I also really liked him in those stories, and he has had some pretty jerky viewpoints and flavor text about who he is choosing to protect and defend. And I, I don't know. I don't know if he is on the right path. 
Or he might just be under duress, but we'll have to find out with the story. And I'm really interested to see why his character has shifted so much. And then our last legend to talk about is Tristani Discordant, the Selesnia Guildmaster. Another card I'm hoping the way this card is acting in-game reflects what's happening in the story because if not i have no idea what this card is doing like why it is the way it is so i'm really hoping this is a reflection of what's going on in the story maybe it's tristani trying to reclaim the lost faithful or something or i don't know she has weird mechanics we talked earlier in this episode about cards where the mechanics and the card concept and the names and text all work together to make a cohesive whole as her name suggests, this is kind of a discordant card. She pumps her team plus one plus one. She brings two soldier friends when she enters the battlefield. And at the beginning of your end step, each player gains control of all creatures they own. Now, if you read those abilities to me, that sounds like a pretty standard interpretation of the Selesnia Conclave. We're going to build an army, boost everyone, work together. But her name is Tristani Discordant. We know from the PAX panel that she's not talking to her other manifestations of herself. This card doesn't convey discordance in any way. So it's, it's a real, I think, flavor miss for me. It doesn't feel like this is the right name for this card. This feels like the name of a different card that does different things. I definitely agree with that. I mean, we'll see what happens in the story, but I, I, this... This is the card, probably in the whole set, that rubs me the wrong way, and this is really the only one that does it, which is pretty impressive for a set with, like, 260 cards. So, I don't like it, so I'm going to stop talking about it and stop looking at it. How do the members of the Slesnia Guild talk to each other from their phones? They use Tristani Discord. <laughs> Let's move on to a card that I like a hell of a lot better. Rhizome Lurcher. This is a fungus zombie from the Golgari Guild. And it's just kind of a, a rotting corpse with a bunch of arms and mushrooms and fruiting bodies on it. But let's have another science lesson, because rhizome is a very specific piece of jargon. On plants, the rhizomes are the tips of a root system. So the part that continuously grows and explores into the soil to absorb nutrients. But this card is a fungus. There are a lot of funguses that have a symbiotic relationship with plants. They inhabit the soil and grow with the rhizomes and the rest of the root system to help sort out nutrients and also help chemically communicate with other plants in the area. The fact that this fungus is lurching around underground are probably around the rhizomes of some of the great trees that appear in this city. It's just such a neat, specific flavor that makes this card really resonant for me and hopefully provides a learning opportunity when people see that word and then go and look it up. And I love those kinds of things when you get into card names and flavor text, and I hope to write many of them myself one day. Sets can't do a whole lot of it, so it's neat when those kinds of things do get to show up. Our next card is Thousand Year Storm, the final story spotlight. We have four in this set. And finally, all these years later, we have a card for Project Lightning Bug. 
things. This is the flavor text. Rao's storm crackled with mystical detections. Planeswalkers were infiltrating Ravnica. Now, Project Lightning Bug was the system that Niv-Mizzet set up to track these energy anomalies he had noticed happening. When Rao started looking at the project, he realized that these energy anomalies were planeswalkers blooping on and off Ravnica, and he deflected stuff so that Niv-Mizzet didn't find out, and that eventually got the project shut down officially, but he kind of ran it on the side for the Gatewatch. He has a meeting with Jace and warns him about Vraska, for example. We can see Rao, very, very tiny, all the way on the left, shooting a lightning bolt up into the sky. And I wonder what this portends for the story, and where this takes place in the story. And when Rao figures out that he's part of this Bolas plot, and how willingly he is going along with it. Because this is all very strange, and we talked about it a lot last week, so I'm not going to go too hard on it here, but there's a lot of mystery and intrigue, and I want to know what's going on. Don't we all? Yes, we all should. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you should be very interested in going, what's going on in Ravnica. Because it is mysterious. It'd be a nice little birthday present for me when that first story comes out. October 10th, people, don't forget. We have our last little batch of cards that Ashley wants to talk about. Okay, so Andrew got to point out the crab, so that means to make it fair, I get to point out we got some nice new spiders. If you don't know, now that I love spiders, you will after listening to this podcast. So we got Hitchclaw Recluse, Hatchery Spider, Prey Upon, and Severed Strands has a little spider back there. They're very cute. If you don't think spiders are cute, then I suggest that you get your eyes checked because they're adorable. And Prey Upon has a fairy even better for fairy. Not for long. It's okay. It's going to become part of the spider. And that does it for today's episode. So that brings us to final thoughts. Brian, final thoughts. While I was initially disappointed with the lack of elves that are competitively costed, the flavor of the set has really brought me around and I'm really looking forward to playing it. The little standard that I do still play has me very intrigued with some of the little things, but... The flavor of the set is the redeeming quality of it, and I, don't, I just love it. It's great. That's generally one of the things you always get with the Ravnica set, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited, and I can't wait for the story to come out. Ashley, final thoughts. So before we go, I wanted to mention that what's been keeping me up at night is thinking about the fact that the baby crawl that Vraska's holding in the key art, so like a crawl is a sapient being. She's holding someone's kid, so the queen, the Golgari, is out here kissing babies. And I guess that brings me to my final thoughts. What I thought was fascinating about this set is that the booster pack art has a figure from each guild, but none of them are actually card art. The Vraska holding the baby crawl is part of key art. It's also on the booster. It's not in the set anywhere. The image we have of Rao, which early on I was like, oh crap, this looks like an oath card. Is Rao going to join the Gatewatch? Nope, it's just promotional art for the booster pack. I don't think we've ever had a set that used non-card art for all the booster art before, which I think is really interesting. And might be a signal of Wizards' partnership with this new marketing firm. Because if you want to market magic, you need marketing materials. 
and a way to do that is to have a figure representing each guild on a nice transparent background that you can staple on all kinds of ads anywhere you want. The same way that Marvel will just have standard stock images of all their superheroes that ad agencies can use for publicity wherever they need to be used. It seems like that's what these five images could be used for. The Vraska appears on the booster box image, the Aurelia appears on the bundle, and Rao appears on the retail display box for the Planeswalker decks. So that's an interesting move that I think is a signal of this new marketing campaign that Wizards is doing. And related to that, I don't know if y'all saw the recent Arena promotional video with Day9 and Danny Trejo, actor and from everything I've seen, pretty actually awesome, nice human being. But the trailer is really good, professionally done. It's not the old Ice Age trailer, no matter how much, Ashley, I know you love it. It's not the so, so bad Wooberg the Muppet videos that Wizards has actually deleted from their YouTube account because they are embarrassingly bad. This is a real trailer for Arena, and, like, it's so good. And everyone thinks it's so good. And Danny Trejo's in it. Like, it's just so enjoyable. We'll link it in case you haven't watched it already. But, like, absolutely watch it. Get excited about Arena. Get excited about marketing, which is something I'd never thought I'd ever say about Wizards of the Coast. One more thing to add before we go is that we now have a Tumblr, so you can follow us at thevorthoscast.tumblr.com. That's right. I totally forgot about that, and I'm the one who set that up. If you don't follow us on Twitter or SoundCloud or iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or Reddit, then go follow us on Tumblr because that will be another place where you can. We're going to update all our episodes on there. And our Ask Box is open, so if you have questions for the podcast, you can always submit them there. I know that can get a little tricky on Twitter because if you don't have a Twitter, you can't ask us questions, but with Tumblr... You can always ask questions anonymously, which means you wouldn't get a shout-out, but you can still get a message to us. So take advantage of that feature. Beat sending a message in a bottle or just screaming it out into the sky. If you want to do more to support the Vorthos cast than just stalk us on social media, you can support us on patreon.com slash thevorthoscast. Everyone who supports us gets access to our Discord community, where we're talking about the new cards, the new story, all the hilarious things that happen in our sad little lives. We post pictures of pets. It's very cute. It's a lot of fun. And we also have a higher tier level that gets you access to a monthly feature, a short little bonus episode called Pull from the Deep, where we delve into a weird little topic that isn't something we would normally talk about in a regular episode. We'd like to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon already, and shout out to everyone who will support us in the future. And thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.